welcome to Hell is for Hyphenates. I am writer, hyphen critic, hyphen actor turned rapper, Lee Zachariah. And beside me, as always, is... I am, uh, oh, well, I'm writer, hyphen director, hyphen film student, hyphen uh, Twitter bon vivant, uh, hyphen uh, fakeumentary director, uh, Paul Nelson. And with us today, our special guest villain... Ricky hyphen Hollywood. <laughs> uh, Richard Gray, uh, film filmmaker. Well, you're director of the upcoming Summer Coda. That's right. Our first feature film um, coming to cinemas in Australia October 21st. Catch it. It's lovely as. And we'll be uh, ripping it asunder next month. Yep. <laughs> You'll have to listen nervously. When we do. I'm just saying nice things to you. Yeah. I'm actually heading, <laughs> heading to Bhutan on the 22nd. <laughs> I'm laying low with the yaks. <laughs> it's not getting a wide release in Bhutan? <laughs> not uh, limited. Oh, right. <laughs> it's a platform, yeah. Now, the, uh, there have been a lot of really interesting films that have come out this September. Uh, what, have, what have we seen? It's so we... interesting we haven't seen any of them. Well, yeah. <laughs> what do we, like, read them out? Like, uh... Well, we've got Tomorrow When the War Began. Let's start with an Australian one. Have, have we seen this one? You have? I have, yeah. yes. <laughs> We'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> that was a story. Well, funny you should ask me. Look, I, I, I really liked it. It's, it's, it's got some flaws, the, the two primary ones being... It's almost impossible to make teens sound real. And the other one being, it's almost impossible to make Australians seem real. <laughs> and the entire cast is Australian teens. So that problem aside, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good uh, telling of the book I read 15 years ago and can't remember anymore. But yeah, no, I, I thought it was a really nice attempt at an Australian blockbuster because this is something we don't do. Yeah, have we had an Australian blockbuster? I mean, outside of the, the 80s dodgy, some of the dodgy... You know, race for the Yankees effort type stuff. Have we had a yeah, proper what is Australian blockbuster? Yeah, and 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 also ones that oh, Australia, uh, I guess, that are forming a part of a trilogy. That's mm. it's huge. Mm. It's huge, and I think they've uh, announced that they will be making two and three back to back, which is which is great for the industry. Well, everyone's going on about the the Stephen King thing. They're going to make um, the Dark Tower. They're going to make three films and then a TV series that all tie mm. in together. They're going, isn't that amazing? And it's like mm. a month. They announced that a month after Stuart mm. Beatty said that's what they're doing with Tomorrow When the War Began. Mm. They're doing three movies and then a TV series. Is that right? Yep. I didn't know about the TV series. Because it's a seven-book series or something. Apparently. It is, yeah. Well, mm. there's there's the Ellie Chronicles as well, which okay. sort of continue on. And I look, I, I read the first two or three and, and haven't read beyond that. Um, but, yeah, they're, uh, and the first one has done so well that I believe they're doing the next two. Yeah. And for the kids to go and see a non-American film, and I read your review, Lee, talking about Australian accents is is really relevant because you know when you're overseas and Australian film comes on it's just so grating mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily in a bad way it's just really and it must be really hard for people around the world to see particularly when it's a genre you know it's a teenage film yeah. it, maybe it's just us though because I, I remember seeing Strictly Ballroom when it first came out and going why are they putting on all these weird accents <laughs> like genuinely I thought that uh, we're so ingrained in the UK US thing absolutely but, but plus to, to, to make it palatable to overseas audiences we often have our australian actors over enunciate mm-hmm. so billy get over here you know that sort of thing <laughs> it's like we don't talk like that relax audiences we can give audiences subtitles fuck it just do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah i'm in two minds whether i want to see it or not i haven't read the book so i have no relationship with the material but, mm. but i am interested in seeing an australian action blockbuster 
is the kind of films I'd like it's, to It's healthy for our country, definitely. And mm. to see, we don't, there's not a lot of work for our younger actors. And so um, that's interesting as well for them to be in, um, in feature films and not just uh, TV soapies like Neighbours mm. and Home and Away that, mm. there are, that there are roles yeah. for them. Yeah. yeah, and the performances are great in them. I thought they were all really well really? cast, yeah. And the action scenes are pretty good too, I bet. Yeah, they are. Look, it really... 25 million sounds like a lot in Australia, but if this film had come from the US, you'd go, wow, they only made that for $100 million? That looks uh, really... So, that, yeah, they've yeah. really stretched it wow. real well. Another, another big film that was out was uh, The Other Guys. I am interested in seeing this. I've seen this one. Yes. Yeah, uh, what, yeah, and what did you think? You know what? I laugh my head off. I'm a big Will Ferrell fan, and I haven't liked his last films and i just got into it and i could see in the audience there were people that were getting into it and people that were just like this is terrible um but from an early scene there's like a a two-page monologue about um uh i think marky mark's character being a a a lion lion, yeah and uh will farrell's character being a tuna and how the lion was going to take down the tuna and the tuna was going to take down the lion which makes no sense if you haven't seen the film (laughs) but i knew from that moment if they were going to take two minutes on that conversation that i was going to be into it because it looked like they were ad-libbing it looked like they were having fun and (laughs) and i i I found the movie great i mean it's 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 dodgy but it's got some really funny scenes now i know lee didn't but did you grow up on action buddy cop action films in the 80s I loved um, Eddie Murphy. Um, I loved the Lethal Weapons. Yeah. Loved the Lethal Weapons. Um, big Mel Gibson fan when I was a kid. Yeah, and, and those, and it is, there's the saxophone music from Lethal <laughs> Excellent. Weapon. It really is a bit of a Lethal Weapon fan film, I think. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, you've seen the skits before. They're, it's like skit after skit after skit. <laughs> but I found the skits funny. How about you, Lee? Well, <laughs> no, I didn't. No. <laughs> I no, I honestly feel like I've slipped into a parallel parallel universe because everybody I spoke to, and not just I'm not just talking about people on the streets. I'm talking about film critics who love hating things. Everyone I talked to loved it, and I, I, I don't know. I is I, this because you didn't grow up on these sort of action movies? No, I, uh, no, I don't. Yeah. I don't think so because I love a good action movie. I the uh, emphasis on good. Yeah. Um, but did you? But that's the thing. But I, but you weren't so much an action fan as a kid. I, like you, no, you no. weren't so much a 48 hours lethal weapon sort of no kind of guy no. yeah although i did Which go out of my way like. to see um executive decision and broken arrow at the movies mm. so i did go through a brief period they were teams. rotten though <laughs> but you know the beverly <laughs> hills cops beverly hills cops and those, those sorts of yeah. films they still for me coming to america those anyway so I was just looking through the list to see, is there a comedy I really liked this month that I could say, ah, but what about this? But, um, How about no. that Catherine, Ke- Catherine Keener one you were telling me about? Yeah, that was uh, Please Give. Yeah. Uh, I really want to see this. Yeah, Nicole Holofcener. Holofcener. Um, she's like, for me, she's the uh, anti, oh, what's her name? Uh, the ho- Holiday, Nancy Myers. Is that her? Yeah. Yeah. Nancy Myers makes these horrible, horrible films that uh, are aimed at women and Holiday. they're just bloated, overcast, yeah. overlong. What women want. Yeah. yeah. And the premise and of each- just really crass yeah. all yeah. the time. Well, the premise of each film seems to be, what if my audience are idiots? And um, that's where she begins. Whereas, you know, this Nicole H, as I will call her, so I don't have to keep trying to pronounce her name. She keeps making really, really good you know, and it's a bit of a pejorative to call it a, a chick flick, but she makes you know films that you would imagine aimed at women. And what are her other stuff? The uh, she made one called Lovely and Amazing, which I've heard is really good. I haven't seen it. 
That was Catherine Keener as well. Yep. And, and Keener, again, her last one was Friends with Money. Yeah, which took me by surprise. Mm. I, I went along almost reluctantly to that, and that was fantastic. It got really mixed reviews, that, didn't it? It did, yeah. yeah. But I, th- I thought it was a really solid film. And Please Give is is even better. Like, it's a really... It's got a great cast. Mm. Uh, she always gets terrific cast. Yeah, like Oliver Platt and yeah. um, Rebecca Hall and... Uh, Catherine Keener. Yeah. She's just the queen she's I fantastic mean, she's just yeah. you could watch her in anything and she just keeps getting better yeah it's like a bit like julianne moore like you mm. just know most of the time that even she only had that small role in um uh, where the wild things are yeah yeah but those opening sequences were so real it was the best kind of i kind of wanted that part of the movie to continue mm. because mm. i just love seeing her as a single mum. those early scenes she's just so pure and usually those are the Pop scenes up. you're waiting to get past so you can get yeah. the thumbs yeah. up but you're like no yeah. more Catherine keener please so good she's yeah. awesome yeah but it's a really it's a really good film it raises a lot of questions and doesn't answer them mm. uh which you know sometimes is annoying in this case is really clever because uh you don't want them answered there uh, and and they're interesting questions and yeah she doesn't judge any of her characters which would be very easy to do mm. but you mentioned julianne moore before and kids are all right was out this month mm. and what'd you think of that i loved it I loved it. It was so cool to to see an LA film that looked like LA or to me anyway. Yeah. And it had that um hippie organic vibe, but it kind of showed it off to be sometimes real, sometimes fake. And just the family atmosphere. I know um Annette Benning is everyone's kind of standout for this film, but I I loved Julianne Moore. Mm. And I thought Mark Mark Ruffalo was hilarious as well. I just laughed my head off. It kind of felt a little bit like a broken down indie American beauty in some sense, the way they dealt with family. But I felt they avoided the cliche most of the time. And I just really, I I really enjoyed it. Mm. Paul, did you see that? No, no. no, I just, I was stealing a look at your September list. I've literally not seen any of them. Oh, really? (laughs) So I'm going to be fairly entertaining. (laughs) We can talk about August again. (laughs) Let's talk about October. (laughs) I'm sure Lebanon's coming out in October. Let's talk about that. Um, What did you think of the kids were all right, Lee? Oh, I I really liked it. I think the, um, there were parts of the plot where I felt it was a little too straightforward. It was like, and then this happens and then that happens. And it was a bit sort of, almost obvious in the way it unfolded but i thought it was excellent the, the way it portrayed a family and real characters and the way people actually interact and the way people make mistakes and it's just it really felt so genuine and all the emotion was earned and uh, i give it so much credit for that because it so easily could have been isn't it weird to see a lesbian couple yeah. with grown children uh and it's just it's just it's not an issue. It's yeah, just- it clicked in. And the kids didn't have an issue with it, which was so refreshing. Yeah. The kids were just like, and what are they... The, instead of referring to them as mum and dad, they referred to them as uh, what will mums think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and that was so cute. It was so cool. And I agree with you. The lesbian thing wasn't an issue. And it was just like, which is so refreshing mm. for that not to have even been sort of looked at yeah it was great it wasn't exploited but it wasn't ignored either mm. it was the perfect balance mm. nice now uh, we should jump into wall street i think the big wall street now i'm pretty sure you've seen can't help you you, you, you didn't <laughs> no, see it i was up at the movie convention yeah. i was supposed to see it but i had a big night <laughs> <laughs> I remember that was... Money never sleeps, but Richard apparently does. (laughs) But I heard really mixed things. I'd love to have you guys seen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I... uh, This was one of those things where I went to, you know, one of my fancy schmancy media press screenings. And before the film, I'm arguing with all the critics about uh, the other guys from a few nights before. (laughs) I'm like, it was shit, it was shit. And they're all going, no, no, it was really good. And here's why. And then we come out of that and they're all like, that was terrible. Oh, I thought that was really good. I thought, no, I was was a big fan of... uh, The trailer... 
The, have you seen the trailer? Yeah. The trailer does nothing for me. Mm. It doesn't mm. look like an Oliver Stone film. It it just which obviously you know it's being marketed a certain way, but it doesn't excite me to see the film at all. But I've heard there is a bit in there for Oliver Stone fans. Well, it's it's funny you mentioned Oliver Stone because I forgotten all of I'd forgotten how he directs a film, mm. and so I was watching going. Oh, this this seems a bit over-directed, isn't it? And then I and then I remembered it was Oliver Stone and thought, oh wow, he's really toned himself down. That's uh, really strange. Yeah. yeah. Comparison natural born killers. Yeah. Or Nixon. <laughs> like didn't Nixon have scenes of him like crawling a mountain or over American bodies or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Superimposed over political trials or something? Yeah. That, that was a metaphor, right? Yeah. Oh good. good. <laughs> and what um is I haven't seen the original for so long. Mm. Did you did you revisit that? I before? rewatched it, yeah, yeah. recently. And how did it stand up? I thought it mind? stood up uh, really well. It's, um, I think it got all the things right. Where you know you watch because I watched it after the big global financial crisis, yeah. and when you're watching it, you're looking at you know Gordon Gecko doing all these unethical things and just going, oh wow, that's this is nothing compared to the reality. Yeah. You know, it's it probably seemed fantastical back then, but you know nowadays it's just nothing compared to the crooks out there. And to the sequel's credit. He comes out and he just goes, I was nothing. I mean, these guys mm. are... I, I was, you know, I was small fry compared to what's That's going right, on now. Yeah, yeah and, and it does really a really good job of uh, the way the 80s... If the 80s was a rise to, to fame or a rise to success uh, and Charlie Sheen's character was all about how do you get to the top... 21st century is about everyone's at the top how do you plummet down and that's exactly where Shia starts off at the top Shia LaBeouf's character is at the top and you just go well there's only one direction you can possibly go and Gordon Gecko isn't he's not it's not a cameo role and he's not uh, in it too much like they don't overuse him the way I thought they would Mm. turn him into a main character so he's not the lead no no Shia's the lead yeah he, right. He's as much of a lead as he was in Wall Street, the yeah, first yeah, one. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's a really good balance, mm. and um, I think yeah. And speaking of balance, I think they got the the financial intrigue. They balanced that really well with the personal effect mm. it has. Is it educational to, to 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 put a spotlight on that in the current context? It is. It's probably educational for people slightly smarter than me because I was sitting, there was a bit where they were going, we're going to do this and this and this and that'll screw the company over. I'm going, all right, there's a montage, so I'll believe you. <laughs> I, I don't understand what's happening. Um, so That's cool. Yeah. We can all come out <laughs> feeling good. Yeah. But it is, it, look, it's set in 2008 and you know what's coming. Yeah. Oh, and okay. so that's, that. that's a very clever, oh, it, it's a very cool. obvious trick, but it's a very clever one and you couldn't avoid it. So no, I will, uh, I will recommend that even though oh. that puts me in the minority no but it's it's mixed i'll see it just for all of it like i'll see see it just to see Mm. you know but yeah Yeah. i'm like you i i didn't get interested in the trailer until josh brolin turned up Mm. Mm. he's really good and he's really well cast yeah it's it's got an insanely good cast and one of the cleverest things about it is that you're wondering because gordon gecko wasn't a good guy in the first film Mm. and you think they're bringing him back but everyone loves him now everyone thinks you know oh what a great character he was Mm. and you kind of want the audience to have sympathy because that's what everyone's expecting. And they have uh, Frank Langella is in the film and he's a mentor character for Shia LaBeouf. And then Josh Brolin is there and he's the bastard. And you think, well, hang on, if both of those roles are taken, what's Gordon Gecko going to be to him? Mm. And it's very, very deft casting in, in that sense to have a really big question mark because there's no gap that needs to be filled. Mm. 
And so he's sort of, he's just sort of circling and he's just sort of there and you don't know what he's going to be doing. Mm. So there's, yeah, it's a really good mystery. No, I'll mm. see it for sure. Just to, you know, just to have an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about having the opinion. Yeah. Interesting recent remake, Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah. yeah okay. It was, uh, and, and when I say interesting, I mean. Uh, Rubbish. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Is dead to me. There's an Australian actress in that. There is, this yes. Is um, <laughs> uh, Teresa Palmer. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's, um, look, it's Who, not- Someone I always, you would used to get confused with Rachel Taylor. Well, it's funny that, because when we were casting uh, Summer Coda, you know, I met um, Teresa and she was just about to do that film or just had finished mm. um, and she just talked about what an awesome guy Nick Cage was which was lovely <laughs> to hear because you know that's always as film nerds you know we I just always love to hear what a, what a guy's like yeah, particularly yeah, a guy yeah. that you either think is good yourself and then it you're devastated it's to hear that this girl or this guy is is an asshole. Yeah. But she said just Nick Cage was just such a champion to the whole crew. And you know, you hear stories about Hugh Jackman gives everybody a scratchy ticket on yeah. <laughs> Lucky Mondays or whatever yeah, he yeah. has. It's just a cool thing that you yeah. can, you can, can drop a hundred dollars and everyone's happy because once in a while, someone's going to win some money. Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine Hugh Jackman getting down to the TAB? <laughs> yeah. Full yeah, yeah. But it's like, so no, no, Australia wasn't that bad. Yeah. You'll, you'll move on and do other it's things. It's the littlest thing. And when you're on a set, like the, so often the the spirit of all the dudes working for you mm. uh, is so close to being good and bad mm. that bad catering on one lunch will swing it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Such and a if you can balance. give if you can give a two dollars scratchy, somebody you know somebody's going to win something. On the, on the, <laughs> yeah. They may not come the next day, which could be which could be, <laughs> which could be bad. But yeah, no. So Teresa was saying Nick Cage was just a champion guy, and I was I really liked that because I just seen is it the bad lieutenant. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, which I got into on DVD because mm. I was like, I, I had seen the poster and thought this is another Nick Cage gets paid twenty million to help with his gambling debts um, <laughs> make a film, but it was so whack and mm. sort of weird. Obviously, um, knowing who, who made it, um, I found it enjoyable, and this the surrounds New Orleans were definitely you know yeah. different. Mm. Anyway, off, well, was Sorcerer's Apprentice actually did turn me around a bit on on Nick Cage. I've always loved him, but I always thought he's really good in really good films, and he's yeah. really bad in really bad films. But he's he's not. He does a lot of really bad films. But I worked out he's he does everything up to eleven, and he's so invested mm. in every film he's in that he doesn't look embarrassed when he's in a bad film. He goes at it a hundred percent. Look at the Wicker Man for God's sake. He always commits. Yeah, <laughs> he co- he always commits. Yeah, and they're doing another Ghostwriter. I'm sure he's be he'll he's be committed to that. Yeah. And so he should you be committed. See that clip in the, wick, the Wicker Man where he's punching women and running around yeah. dressed as a bear and kicking chicks into walls and but not the bees, not the bees. And like, that dude is leaving nothing on the floor. But that, yeah. And it's so good. I respect him for that, you know? <laughs> exactly. No, that's what I'm saying. Even in mm. a bad film, he'll dial it up yeah. so much that yeah. you, you know, and so I've got a lot of respect for him, even though Sorcerer's Apprentice isn't that good. Yeah. And I managed to forget it as How I was watching How do you remake it? a Mickey Mouse animation? Mm. Well, it's, uh, you change everything. <laughs> yeah. Is Alfred Molina in that? Yeah. I and, love Alfred Molina. And is Alfred Molina, Molina yeah. in Prince of Persia as well? Yes. He is Brookheimer's go-to guy Seems now. To You're going to get paid yeah. at some point. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. on Brookheimer's Rolodex at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, yes, the, the last film uh, mention is I'm Still Here. Can't wait for this. But it's weird for them to run with the fact that it's a fake for so long, but then, um, but then reveal it. Hey, oh, so wait, as the film comes out. Yeah, mm. yeah, during the release. He should have waited a little bit. Just yeah, because surely. the most interesting thing about it is or, or never, the speculation. Or never. But then the Oscar talk is 
interesting as yeah. well because it's like well if it is fake then what a performance oh yeah it, it's i mean it was i was watching it going all right there's no way this isn't fake there are a few too many coincidences there is a there is a few there's a moment where they adr something yeah. and you can tell and mm-hmm. you're like okay all right well that gives it away but yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it just again to have an opinion well the great yeah the great thing about it is that even if you hate it it doesn't matter it's interesting love it or hate it so it's and it's it's just one of those and did they cover the event when he went on Letterman is that all filmed yeah I'd seen that before and that's all on and you keep cutting back to the publicist in the green room watching on this closed circuit screen with this and do you think she's an actor now or do you think some people were in some people were out it's oh definitely somewhere and somewhere out it's, it's a question of who was in who was out uh, there, there are some obvious ones like Ben Stiller turns up to offer him a role in Greenberg and he's really good like he that was one of the, one of the many things that gave it away. Like mm. it was a bit too. It was like Ben Stiller and extras, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, yeah. That's that's probably the one to see. It's not the best film mm. that came out in September, but it's the one that everyone should see. And that's mm. the thing. Now that it's a fake, like what is you know? I'm interested to see. Okay, what is the point of this thing's existence? Like, what are we getting out of this? Were they throwing back to to, to films of the '70s that they really enjoyed and in, in similar? It's. I don't know. I think the, the the point of it seems to be that here is a guy who is fed up with the fakeness of his life and is trying to get back to something real and manages to find something even more fake. He can't get away from the fakeness himself and it just piles up and piles up. And um, I don't want to talk, talk yeah, about yeah, the yeah. ending, but it's, it's, it is, for all the film's faults, it is, there is a, uh, it's beautifully tied together. Like the, it does have something to say. Oh, good. And it is a very clever point, and it's a, an extraordinary one. I mean, the scale of it, a movie star almost destroying their career to make a point. Mm. You can only do this once. This will never happen again. And uh, from that perspective, it's, it's just extraordinary to witness. Speaking of the issue of real and fake, uh, there is a question that I have been wanting to ask, throw out there for a long time. Uh, and it's not to do with documentaries or mockumentaries. It's to do with biopics. Is it important? How important is it that they are close to the truth? Where is the line between they have to be honest, they have to be entertaining, in what ratios? What are your thoughts? I think it has to be honest to the characters and the portrayal of the characters and the characters' behaviour. I don't necessarily think it needs to be incredibly faithful to events and yeah, um, you know, well, on this day, he talked to this person. He didn't talk to him. And on that day, they played this game against them. They didn't play against them. I don't think that stuff matters. Mm. I think it's about, yeah. is the situation telling us a truthful thing about the character? If so, play with it. And what are some examples of, I guess, the further back you go, the easier it is to have license. <laughs> um, but if Relish. we talk about films, we're talking about Oliver Stone before, but like JFK or Michael Mann, who does great biopics, that they become more interesting, don't they? Because we're dealing with issues that have repercussions and opinions of people that we all know and have, you know, have thoughts on. So it's a it's a really tough line mm. um, because look at Ali, you know, and um, or JFK or even anything around U.S. politics, like Thirteen mm. Days or things like that. Yeah. Conversations happening, w. yeah, conversations happening behind doors that nobody's heard, mm. that nobody knows about. So you just have to have you you hope that there's been an integrity that you're that there are experts that think that this could have been said mm. but then also if it's a difference between me getting my 17 dollars worth and not how much do we actually care mm. do we prefer yeah. a good film 
because it's not like I'm walk- you're walking out of a movie going to be stating things as fact. But then that's the issue, isn't it? When you do, yeah, mm. yeah, when you do when something claims to be a true story and and things are fabricated. It, it's it's something that I've certainly with Peter Morgan's films. He writes, you know, he he almost exclusively writes in real life things, and I almost didn't. I almost didn't want to see the Queen um, because I thought, well, I. I don't believe that somebody has a take on it that is going to be accurate in any way. You know, we hear all this stuff about royal insiders, but most of it's made up. The Queen I loved because it almost didn't pretend to be... Re- it was an allegory. Mm. You know, it was... Uh, it was a bit of a what-if tale. Exactly. It was... And, 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 you know, it really set itself up like that. And It, it wasn't was, a deer on the hill? Yeah, exactly. It had this <laughs> fable aspect. So did I, yeah. My mother and I argued endlessly about who it represented. I, yeah. I thought it represented the Queen, you know, and she thought it represented Princess Di. And um, I didn't think it was a story about Princess Di. I think that was just the catalyst for the story. It was about who this person is and how do you live in this world in this position. And that's really interesting. And so I really do love Peter Morgan's writing, but... Uh, particularly when he's adapted the works of David Peace. Peace, thank you. You always write Peace, and it drives me insane. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Give Peace a chance. Okay, I'll remember it that way. Sorry, I won't get that wrong again. Peter Peace is... <laughs> he writes... Uh, he wrote the books for The Damned United and Red Riding. Now, Red Riding was an interesting one because the, the Red Riding trilogy is getting a lot of love. It's They change pretty much all the facts, uh, the original facts, as I read them when I looked into it, were more interesting than the changes they made. And the films themselves, I didn't think were that interesting. I actually thought it was a pretty poorly told story. The Damned United was, and this is where I started thinking about this, about how important it is to me that these things are real. The Damned United was almost my favourite film of the year. It was certainly a contender. And then I found out just how much David Peace had made up and how he just speculated and just... and. People felt their lives had been ruined because of the lies he told about, you know, and he just made up what people were like and what their motivations were. And it really, it, it darkened the whole film for me. I was really disappointed. And I it didn't, you know, when I had to compile my list of favorite films at the end of the year for the, the side I write for, it was, I, I left it off. You know, it, it really soured me a lot. And so I guess I'm asking because uh, I was surprised at how much I cared about hmm. the issue. I'd just take it in, I'd take it in hand that Hollywood have been fudging, or well, film, have been fudging the facts since the 20s. Mm. Um, oh, since the 10s, birth mm. of a nation. Mm. Yeah. You know? and, <clears throat> and, you know, we sort of get into things like, you know, the life of Emil Zola and all this sort of stuff through the 30s and then all these sort of biopics and then, um, you know, what's the Cole Porter biopic, Night and Day? Yes, I was going to mention and, that one, yeah. And, you know, uh, with Cary Grant and mm. Cole Porter. And, and the Houdini one with Tony Curtis. Yeah, that was, it's like, yeah. and they're all horseshit, mm. you know, yeah. and they're all Hollywoodized and they're all, they're just... I get more pissed off when docos um, yes. uh, I, I, uh, show, aren't really, really accurate or um, it's okay if they're having an opinion, but, mm-hmm. but that, that's a get, because I think you do take it with a grain of salt a little bit more when you're going to see, exactly. mm. when you're going to see a film, because it's, it's got to take an a- angle. Mm. It's not uh, meant to be showing both sides. It's got to have mm. good guys and bad guys. You've got to have an antagonist, even if they weren't an antagonist. Yeah. And when biopics are boring or don't work for me it's when they don't have those th- those three act structures yeah. <laughs> and those things that you need so often you know i i think i'd prefer it to be a better better film than yeah. 
to be to be factual, which is which is weird. But I, I guess um you know documentaries for documentaries, biopics are entertainment. Like the you know I, the I agree. Yeah. I agree. Biopics are about about art and entertainment, yeah. and and documentaries should be about truth yeah. or 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 emotion. Well, I guess opinion to a point. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're really passionate about it and you get... (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm not even sure I trust my own instincts on that, where, you know, Damned United was a great film. Uh, Frost Nixon was my favourite film Mm. of, you know, that the year Mm. it came out. It was... There's... It's funny because there's a thing that's like, if it feels believable, I'm okay with it. Like, everything Mm. in the Damned United felt... Mm. Felt like something these characters in this film would do. I'm not necessarily coming out and saying, well, that's what Brian Clough was like. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what Peter Taylor was like. But within that film, Brian Clough and Peter Taylor, all of their actions were brilliantly in accordance with their personalities. Whereas Frost Nixon, I remember having a huge problem with the telephone scene. Because, mm. like, Nixon's a man with incredible government experience. Honestly, he's not going to get loaded and just call this guy up. And, 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 and tell you, so, so then this. there's the question, isn't it? Mm. Because... You'd like to think for that scene to be in it, somebody has said that it's that it's mm-hmm. happened, um, and they've got people, to, and then you know you got to write a good, you got to write a good scene. Mm. So it's how far you can push it. Yeah. Remember, I saw Frost Nixon late and was really, really enjoyed it. It was just so it was really sad to see mm. to, to to see a man, um, you know, like that for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, um, but then it reminded me of um, Good Night, Good Luck a lot as well, mm. and. Um, yeah, but again, with Frost Nixon, whatever it takes to make a better movie, like it, it's not going to really change my opinion on the yeah. on the guys. I know I'm in them. I know yeah. I've got popcorn in my hand. And I was yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love. Uh, it, it's it's a thing too. It's like if I feel if it smells like bullshit, I'll hate it. Like the yeah. hurricane. The yes. hurricane, <laughs> enormous, Big, massive like, backlash. It's like yeah. wow, they, none of this happened. You know, yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah there's it, a line. That, well, that's interesting though, because what? Why is there a line? Like, what's mm. what? What can you bend and what can't mm. you bend? But it's true. The hurricane had massive, but backlash, didn't it? Yeah, and it's so blatantly false. And even yeah. within the character, the characters, the way they acted within the film was ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. And so again, it comes back to that. Yes. It, I'm always aware I have my popcorn in my hand, as Richard beautifully yeah. coined. And it, it, as long as it's true within the reality of that film and to the characters that, that film is set up, then I'm okay with it. Okay. And and I guess it encourages people to go out and read the real thing. Mm. Well, that's true. You do come home and, and research, and I like mm. that. But I like that about biopics. Yeah. And they're so hit and miss, but you does you do come home and you hit Wikipedia and then you don't even know if you're getting the truth on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, then yeah. you can start you can't start quoting Wikipedia and you find out that that's not true either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like Jack Nicholson you can't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Gray, you have uh, which filmmaker have you selected as your uh, Hell's for Haven it's filmmaker of the month? This came. This was a very easy decision uh, for me because I have one uh, uh, auteur that, that that stands above everything for me, and uh, it's Paul uh, Thomas Anderson. Oh, hey. Titan! And um, no, wait, this is the guy who did Resident Evil. Yeah, 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 shop, yeah. Um, same guy. Yeah, um, Soldier Shopping. Yeah, yeah. Death Race Two Thousand. Yeah. Particularly interesting choice. They're mm. <laughs> a rare defender of his work. <laughs> Tell us why. Um, well, and, it, and it's not even that the that his films combined are, are my favourite films, um, uh, not all of them. Anyway, it's just the experience when you're you're growing up as a young filmmaker. You need to sort of latch on to somebody that you can maybe uh, hope to achieve something that they've achieved. And and Paul Thomas Anderson, 
is is 10 years older than than me and i remember when i was you know starting to make short films um when i was 16 and 17 um that's when boogie nights came out mm. and i had to it was a, a rated r obviously and i had to sneak into the cinema to see it i wasn't quite 18 and the same experience that i had with pulp fiction and mm. um i i went and saw boogie nights and it blew my mind it blew my mind because i went in thinking it was some porno thing and happy <laughs> happy to happy to do that happy to see that but um and was blown away yeah. um because it was goodfellas and it was mm. just phenomenal and it's my favorite film of all time because it gets the comedy um right um but it's got such heart and then to watch those sorts of actors who at the time they may be household names now but certainly without paul thomas anderson you wouldn't have been seeing um john c Riley. Well, um, there's I, no there's no doubt i remember yeah. at the time it was like or marky mark in serious roles i mean he yeah, i mean and or you know philip baker hall i mean burt reynolds the, the, these guys got julianne moore Mm. Yeah. I mean, he 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 made careers. Um, um, Bill Macy, yeah. like it, the list goes on. And I remember at the time thinking it was almost like seeing the pilot of The West Wing. It was like every underappreciated character actor mm. in one film yeah. elevated to leads. And I read, I read about um, similar things that I was feeling at the time. I was like, how growing up in Box Hill in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, how am I going to ever make Goodfellas? Mm. And and it's funny. That's the way you, way way you think. And I read an article that was exactly the same with him, and he was talking about the same thing. He's growing up in the valley. How is he going to make um, the films that that he loved? And I remember reading that you know he 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 found that the porn industry had all those elements. Mm. It had the, the drugs, the the violence, the rise and fall, the personalities, the and, makeshift family. Yeah, and he's found these stories, and then he found them again in Magnolia, right in his own doorstep. And it just gives you great feel to think those stories also exist here. Um, and you know, films like Chopper and Animal Kingdom are a reference to that. That there is stuff going on in our own doorstep that can be brilliant and mm. when we grow up all we'll just loving american and european cinema you need those examples um of domestic sort of suburban films that are that are awesome and so that he was mm. that he was it for me but my i i adore boogie nights it's my favorite paul thomas anderson film um but i didn't love i was one of the very 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 few that didn't think there will be blood was 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 his best and and, and a masterpiece i enjoyed it thoroughly mm. But I need more, um, I don't know, I'm a softie. I just need a little bit more, mm. you know, when I look at Boogie Nights and Magnolia, I, I, I just need a little bit more redemption or something. I, I, didn't, I hated everybody. Yeah. And that's, that's the point. And, but I, I found that very, very oh, what hard. What about Little HW? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's <laughs> such a brilliant film on so many levels. But mm. for me, um, Boogie Nights and Magnolia is his best work. So, have we seen the shorts? Have we seen the Dirk Diggler story? No, off? I wasn't able to, to watch those. Yeah. Thank you for passing No, look, that's fine. Uh, you've not seen it, Rick? I've seen Cigarettes and Coffee, but I haven't seen... I know a little bit about and Hard Eight as well, but I haven't mm. seen Dirk Diggler where it all began. Well, it all began... He was 18 when he made it. Um, and it's... It basically, it's a 20-minute it's a mockumentary about the life of this porn star who's recently died. And he incorporates various things in there that we see in the feature film, like... Like the music, the failed music career, and the, and but in this they also kind of um, push it towards he had a homosexual relationship with the star at one point and all this mm. sort of thing. But it's extremely amateurish. It's mm. all filmed on video. Um, it's 
uh, Bob Ridgely, who plays the Colonel in in, in mm. Boogie Nights, um, turns up in a role in this. That's a great big dick. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I, I fucking love that look. With his yeah. yes. yes. sunglasses. Thank you. And there's a beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes his day. That like, that's all he needs. You can see that's all he needs tonight. That's in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just loves the club. Looks. Pause. Have you thought about your name? <laughs> Thank you. <Andy. laughs> Love it. Great scene. But it's yeah, it's um, it's fairly amateurish, and it's almost heartening to see Paul Thomas Anderson make an amateurish film because I've never seen him make anything remotely amateurish. Yeah. But Hard Eight is interesting, isn't it? Because they had a lot of uh, issues with funding, and uh, but when mm. I saw, like most of us saw Hard Eight after Magnolia, yeah. I think it came out into DVD. Not until not until then, but. The best thing about Paul Thomas Anderson is you can go to film school on his early DVD commentaries. Yes. Um, Why doesn't he do them anymore? I hate And it. I think it's because of that reason. I, like, I couldn't... He's so revealing and mm. sounding a little bit drunk. And I love... They're <laughs> yeah. always the best. And I remember yeah. the Boogie Nights commentary, because um, Magnolia doesn't, doesn't have... The Boogie no. Nights commentary and the Hard Eight commentary. Hard Eight commentary was recorded just after they'd finished shooting or before they started shooting Magnolia. Mm-hmm. And you really... So Hard Eight was called Sydney in the States. But yeah. You really should just get on Amazon. It's like $9 to go and get it. And it's Samuel Jackson, Gwyneth Paltrow, John C. Reilly, uh, Philip Baker Hall... It's and plus uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, very Philip Seymour Hoffman, and mm-hmm. it's the bomb, and you can see he's referencing all his favourite yeah. directors, and there are some very lo-fi, quite amateur scenes, but there are also some cracking dialogue sequences. But it's beautifully shot. Tell me, he's shot from Bob El, with shot Bob Elfman from the start, yeah. yeah. And it's all two thirty-five to one yeah. widescreen, yeah. tracking shots, and it looks beautiful. Yeah. Like it looks like he's just yeah. fully formed. He's there, and you don't need money to do that stuff. And that's mm. what's so inspiring when you watch those films. You've made he's made choices with the cinematography from his first feature film, and that's why you can like any budding filmmaker can get out the hard eight because that you can see there are things in that film and the very opening shot of the film. The, they're at this diner and John C. Riley looks like a bum and he's sitting down on on the street outside the diner and it's a long dolly in but it's quite a wobbly mm. shot and at the end of the shot you can see the reflection of the camera in the, in, <laughs> in the windscreen but it's those sorts of things that show you that like you don't need but like you said it's mm. it's got such amazing cinematic quality another another scene when Philip Baker Hall goes to help out John C. Riley and Gwyneth Paltrow in, at a hotel room some shit's mm-hmm. gone down mm-hmm. a hotel room and the so- the shot is soft like he's out of focus for a good couple of minutes and they, they obviously haven't had the budget to go back and do it mm. but it's great for us to know <laughs> that you can you know with no money you can still have an amazing cast you mm. can make a cinematic film and you're going to make mistakes but it doesn't stop it from being mm. a brilliant yeah. film um, and so it's it's, it's they're a tight inspiring. script and compelling characters. Mm. You can you can get and t- awesome actors. You can get it over. And the commentaries, you know, the Boogie Nights commentary. He basically tells you, I got I got that shot from here. Yeah. I got the shot from here. So much as Scorsese. Um, if you have a look at, um, with Scorsese, Demi and Altman, isn't it? They're the yeah, three. To- totally. But with the camera, it Scorsese, you can all, you can pick the films. And I was watching by accident the Color of Money um, as reference for Summer Coda because we've got a billiard scene in it. <laughs> Fuck if there's a if there's a film to watch for billiards it's yeah. the color of money yeah. and there's a scene where uh, Tom Cruise is is jumping on the bed in his underwear jumping mm. on top of his girlfriend Mary um, Elizabeth Nashman yeah it's brilliant in the film, and he's and it's a it's a dead ringer for when Dirk Diggler's jumping on the bed, <laughs> and she says, yeah. you know, everyone's got one good thing, right? And they in in Boogie Nights, and also in Magnolia when they 
when they um, when uh, Bill Macy's trying to steal the money from the from you're talking about Alfred Molina before mm, from mm, the mm. Solomon and Solomon's <laughs> thing, the safe shot. He opens the safe. It's a direct uh, yeah. casino mm. casino shot, and so you can go through and just pick the cinematography yep. references. Yet his characters are original and they're mm. Valley and they're LA, and so it's just. He's just an inspiration. There's something I, w- I want to ask you about, actually, to, speaking of inspiration. Uh, I'm guessing, you know, f- from the way you're talking about it, and PTA is a big influence on you. Noticed re-watching um, Boogie Nights the other night, the end credits have Mark Wahlberg played <laughs> Dirk Ziggler. So-and-so played. That. And that was the end of Summer Coda. That's right. And, and that- a Richard great picture. Yeah. A, PTA, a P.T. Anderson picture. Mm. And that is exactly right. And in Magnolia, his credits are um, as. He's got John C. Riley as mm. the cop and Philip Seymour Hoffman as Phil, the nurse. Yep. But I love... It st- stuck with me. When I watched... I've watched... I've seen Boogie Nights so many millions of times and it always looked at me like, that's a cool way to do to do credits. They played this certain mm-hmm. character. And it's... I know it comes from an Altman thing earlier on, but... I, I love that. And that's probably the only reference that I could make to Paul Thomas Anderson in, mm. in Summer Coda because they're very different films. And yeah. Also, there's a, there is a scene where Angus Sampson whips out his cock in front of a mirror and tells himself he's going to be a great shining Apart star. Apart from that scene. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny because... That might not make the theatrical release, by the way. That might be cut before it comes I, out. I get asked a lot. You know, there's the films that you seem to love and they could be Coen Brothers films or Wes Anderson films or Paul Thomas Anderson films. Mm. Or Spielberg films. Mm. Um, there's not a lot of that in Summer Coda. That's it's because the story doesn't. Um, it's my, far more a Paris. My love for films like Paris, Texas, and mm. Stealing Beauty and Sideways. Mm. That's the references for that. But yeah, the credit sequence is a direct ripoff from Boogie Nights. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. No, yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs> and Magnolia PTA said at the time he didn't think he could ever make a better film mm, yeah, than that, that or a more complete film. Because talk about putting it everything out there. I mean, there are whole story arcs that don't get that miss the cut. I think yeah. that didn't we didn't we didn't even get to see in the DVD. Yeah. I think the DVD special features you have to it's color bars mm. yeah, the, yeah, and yeah. you have to. And the first time I was watching it because I was so used to Boogie Nights special features with all the scenes and the commentaries and everything, but in Magnolia special features there's color bars and you have to wait thirty seconds to the end of the color bars and then after that there's like five deleted scenes. Mm. Right. So and there's, there's a tip fantastic for fantastic hour and a half <laughs> Magnolia diary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that Which I mean, we see insight into someone like Tom Cruise, mm. and and that's another thing. Like Tom Cruise, just is that's an out of body experience. He's that's such an under, he's so underrated as an actor, and yeah. that sort of proves it. I think Magnolia. Yeah. Proves he just it. completely gave himself to Anderson. Brilliant. Too. Mm. He just absolutely Brilliant. Put his and and it was a brilliant role that PTA wrote for him because mm. it's 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 the dark, it's the shadow version of the Tom Cruise persona yeah it's taking all of that you know slickness with women and confidence and you know ambition that Cruise has in all of his heroic roles and turning to the dark side of all of them mm. and it's That's brave amazing. to do that particularly in his position and people mm. say that you know talk about him a certain way all the time but he's, he does it a lot mm. even mm. if it's in a you know in that uh, Tropic Thunder thunder yeah, yeah he yeah. does take the piss yeah oh yeah I mean he's not he's, he loves he, it. he's into it but I've, I've noticed uh, he has PTA as a running theme of family and certainly the relationship between a child and a parent. And father particularly. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's so prevalent in Boogie Nights and it's so prevalent in Magnolia. A lot. It's a lot more subtle in Magnolia because every character and has there'll it. Be, yeah. There'll be blood. Of the and there'll be blood, exactly. And, and even uh, Heart 8. 
Yep. Um, his yeah. father is yeah. such a massive influence on his life. Like mm. his father was a um, was a guy named Ernie Anderson, mm. who was a TV host. Um, a horror, like he, he used had to a ghoul, host horror ghoul hour or something. Yeah. He, he, yeah, 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 yeah. No, which is his production company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which yeah, Gulati is his production company after his dad. That was yeah. his dad's stage name, and yeah, he used to host like like a, like a you know Alvira type thing. Like he used yeah, to yeah. introduce late night horror movies and stuff and make gags and. And yeah, it was a bit of a local identity. Yeah, because you never hear about his, his mum. It's all about yeah. his, his dad and his um. Yeah, they may have divorced. Yeah, when he yeah. was quite young. But yeah, he's. But he, he talks about so how he used to go into dad, these like. diners and you know and have coffee and have cigarettes with his dad, and um, that just sounds cool to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's the whole thing. He's saying like, I've got to go. I've got to go do this, dad. I've got to go. And his dad's like, No, 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 no. You are going to sit here. We are going to have fucking cigarettes. I'm going to have fucking coffee. And then we're going to talk about this shit. You can go do what you want. But until we have cigarettes and coffee, we are not going anywhere. Wow. That just yeah. sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> cool, wow. Dad. Uh, uh, but Magnolia, the thing that's always... The thing that re- I really love and respect about Paul Thomas Anderson above most things is his ambition in terms of the films he, he takes on. And I've always felt Magnolia is the most ambitious film ever made by someone in their 20s mm. since Citizen Kane. Yeah, I can't think of anyone else between Citizen Kane and Magnolia who's made a film. He was 28 when he made Amazing. that film, with all of its visual scope and the cast and the subject and subject matter involved and the interplay and the the you know and the hidden messages throughout the film, like mm. the 82. Yeah, and the, yeah, the, the verses popping. in the Bible and the I mean, it was all. And you you've got to think as well. It, they 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 must be so hard in a way. Multi character um, is is easier um, because you have a couple of weeks with two actors a couple of weeks yeah. with another actor and then you can find a bit in the edit but magnolia is so magnolia is so complex mm. and it's doing but it's also one of those movies you know those three-hour movies that you don't have to watch in their entirety like you can whack on for half an hour yeah check it out yeah. and then you don't need to watch it and it's hard it's actually a hard film to get through in one sitting because mm. it's just it's just so draining yeah it so did so drain the on. hell yeah. out of me yeah. the second viewing yeah. there's so much going on both emotionally and contextually yeah you could watch any of those characters because they have their own film mm. Mm. and that's that's great I mean the game show strand he shot the game show as if it was a game show in a TV studio environment mm. just what an epic and to do that I mean Boogie Nights I guess showed that he could do big casts yeah multiple stories mm. but Magnolia geez that would have killed me and that amazing opening with Ricky Jay you know, commenting on the, the stories yeah. of coincidence. And I've got a... Uh, stunning opening. I've got a, a PTA ripped me off. Not many people know this. Mm. Uh, that, you know one of those stories, the one about the uh, the big one about the guy jumping off the building? That is... Uh, it's either a true story or an urban legend, but it's a famous story. And I made that as a short film at uni. And a few months later, I came back from holidays and Magnolia had come out and everyone at uni was going, P.T. Anderson ripped you off. I went, what? And they said, he stole that story of yours. And I, 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 I saw it on the internet. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. For those of you that don't remember, the film starts with these thing, that crazy things that do happen mm. and have happened. And there's the one um, uh, where the, the kid jumps off the, uh, the, the roof in yeah. an attempt to suicide, but his mum shoots him by accident trying yeah. to shoot his dad as he passes down and he would have been saved by the, the, net. the net that was set up for the painters. And what are the other stories? Uh, there's the one with the craps dealer who um, uh, is um, dealing to a guy who, who's like a fire... He, fly, he flies one of those uh, fire planes um, yeah. and puts out the fires and he gets pissed at him. And, uh, well, the fire guy gets pissed at the craps dealer because he's not winning and he ends up getting thrown out of the casino and then a few weeks later... 
because uh, the Cratch dealer enjoys diving in yep. local rivers and uh, the, uh, the fire plane, I wish I had a better name for that, yep. guys flying over the river and accidentally picks up. Who's scuba diving at the yes. time. Mm. Yeah, the guy yeah. scuba diving at the time, drops him onto a tree and then is distraught and ends up killing himself um, because he feels like... That's right. And yeah. the other one's Greenberry Hill or something. Yes. That's the black and white story about the, uh, yeah. a murder that took place and the suburb was Greenberry Hill or something. Yeah, and the three yeah. guys that killed the guy were Greenberry Green Berry Berry and Hill. Hill. Yeah. Um, and the crap stealer in that little anecdote is Pat Oswalt. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought he looked familiar. Mm. Yeah. The... Um, just ju- jumping to Punch Drunk Love for a bit because that's the one we haven't really talked about. Uh, that's I, I think I think if you're talking about his best film, it's a contender between I mean for me Boogie Nights Magnolia and There Will Be Blood. But Punch Drunk Love is almost my favourite. It, there's something about it that just gets me every time. It's the perfect mix of his sensibilities, and the opening. I remember just being floored by the opening. It's just uh, the line I don't know, and that's the line that knocks me back and. It's it's finding this extraordinary. What's the first scene again? It's it, he's on the phone. He's on the phone, isn't he? And it's almost one shot, and he walks out, and that's when Emma. Yeah, he, he, he walks, walks out, out and she's dropped, her, her, dropping her car, her yeah. car off, and there's a piano out yeah. there. It's all this, and then it's just and the car smashes. The car smashes and it, never mentioned again. Yeah, yeah. And it's so it's it's so mundane, and he finds that extraordinary, mo- those, those those extraordinary elements in the mundane that just you know knock me over and, and again all in that gorgeous 235 one super 35 widescreen yeah it's like beautiful all just and the contrast the i mean it's it's the most rundown sort of downtown la mm. look but because he's in this blue suit mm. yeah. and he's taking his business which is toilet plungers yeah. so seriously and that whole bit about his sisters and his sisters yes. just get up on him you know <laughs> What's his name in the film? Barry Egan. Yeah, yeah. he's such a retard, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you do that, Barry? It's he just so, like smashes. It's songs. such a good film, and that actress I love. You know, I yeah. watched her in Twenty Four for oh, years. Mary Lynn Raskin. Yeah, yeah. she's oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is what she the, married? Is she married to John Bryan, who scores all of his movies? Well, I'm pretty man, sure she is. Well, that's the other thing I was going to talk about. Punch Drunk mm. Love has the most amazing score, mm. and it's a waltz score. And you could probably think of it when you think, because when they go to Hawaii, it's got mm. that Hawaii feel to it. But it's just this beautiful, whimsical, as if it was a Hollywood, beautiful, old yeah. school, um, fast rom-com. Mm. Um, but what's going on is so indie. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that they reshot. I remember hearing that they reshot a lot of it. They, they came back and shot really? again and it took a long... It was meant to be his really easy, yeah, quick yeah, film, yeah, but, remember, it took, yeah. but it took years. And Emily Watson, get out of town. She's shut so the door. Good. She's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> shut the front door. Shut the front door. She's, um, she's just so good. She and is. Philip Seymour Hoffman. No! 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 The Mattress Man. <laughs> the yeah. Mattress Man. Dude. And then behind the scenes, isn't it? There's a... He does an ad... Talking about DVD <laughs> specials, you've got to check this out on Punch Drunk Love behind the scenes. He does; he's the mattress man in Punch Drunk Love, Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's doing an ad for his shitty, for his shitty store, and he he's got a guitar, it's and he's roof. he's riffing on this guitar, and he jumps off the roof onto mattresses, but he he bounces off the mattresses straight onto the ground, and it looks like really violent, but they keep rolling, and I'm sure. That that is the real crew running to him to see if he's okay. Oh. But he's staying in character saying, get the fuck off me. You know, like, I'm sure I've watched that in slow-mo. You don't think that's I've watched stunt. that in slow-mo. That's a, that's a he rip. hits the ground. And I am sure that that was not meant to happen. Jeez. And, and, and I agree with you. Like, Punch Drunk Love was, it was a hard letdown to begin with in the cinema because after... 
you go see Boogie Nights, after you see Magnolia, mm. even when you know it's a small film, you get ready for an impact. But in retrospect, I agree with you. It's a brilliant film. Mm. I've, I've got to say, I, I mean, I, I guess when we get to the end of this and rank our PTA films, we'll sure. I'll come out with this. But um, I liked Punch Drunk Love at the time more than Boogie Nights and Magnolia. And mm-hmm. to me, until um, Eternal Sunshine Cunt of the Spotless Mind came out, mm. I felt that Punch Drunk Love was possibly the most ram- romantic film ever made. Oh, that's what? a great Be- analogy. Because they're very similar, aren't they? They're, they're, it's got that hand felt, broken down. And they're down. about love yeah. being so mm. imperfect. Mm. And, about, and about love being incredible and having these incredible powers to inspire and enrich. Real, but also real guys being, as well, real dudes. Yes. Real people. And yeah. real people and people with problems. Yeah. You know, and I came out of Punch Drunk Love thinking, and at the time I was kind of long time single as well, and at the time thinking, wow, this movie's saying that every... No matter how fucked up you are, there is someone out there for you. That loves you. It's like, you. God damn. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> but like it's adaptation as well. Adaptation was in that mold. What a good couple of years that was for yeah, watching films. Amazing. But adaptation, Eternal Sunshine, Punch Drunk Love, mm. all have these really average Joe protagonists that are just, you can relate. Mm, and exactly. you, to find them, you know, um, Nick the Cage has got in, in, in um, adaptation, he's got this girl that's just so into him. And he just can't, same. Emily Watson and Punch mm. Drunk Love mm. and the same in Eternal Sunshine. They're just really, really good 90s... It's 90s, 2000s? Yeah, uh, 2000s, early 2000s. 2000s. But they're all such, you know, even the women, they're all, you know, they're all beautiful, but they're uh, all in their own way. You know what I mean? They're not, they're, it's not your supermodel. It's, it's like natural, awesome chicks. Blonde. Mm. Yeah, it's awesome. just... And so, yeah, just so gorgeous. And, yeah. and, and, and again, the way he uses actors, mm. like what he did with Tom Cruise and Magnolia, mm. getting Adam Sandler and playing all to his strengths. Mm-hmm. Not taking Adam Sandler very far out of his comfort zone, no. but just hitting all the right notes. Yeah. Imagine, and the amount of Adam Sandler fans that got tricked into seeing Punch Drunk Love, yes. I think brilliant. Because yeah. one in ten of them might have liked it. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I'm sure nine in ten, and I remember I saw it, I saw Punch Drunk Love at Chadston, <laughs> and... Because it had Adam Sandler in it, no yeah. doubt. And there were walkouts, a lot of walkouts. <laughs> and I was sitting there going, yes, <laughs> suck it up. <laughs> Probably only played for two weeks, but that, yeah. but it was just, it's funny, you know, when, I mean, I'm sure he looks at it like he's one of his best works. I mean, it's just, he's so good in it. And it feels yeah. like a docker. It feels like Eternal Sunshine because it's, you're in Hawaii, but you're only ever really over his shoulder. Mm. And so you're, you're at, you see some shitty airport, see some one shitty bar, <laughs> yeah. one shitty hotel and, and you're out. So it's so like. Packed street. Such a while. genuine holiday experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looks like everywhere else. Yeah. And then we get... There will be blood where we all drink each other's milkshakes. Uh, He didn't need maturing. He was an incredibly mature filmmaker. And yet it felt like a maturation. Mm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's already there. There was somewhere else for him to go. Yeah. Uh, God damn. It knocked me on my ass. It's still... uh, For me, it was top five of the decade. Yeah? Yeah. There you go. It was an amazing film. And performances, I mean, they, they don't get better. Oh. Yeah. 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 Again, like it's. I know some people have pointed out similarities between Bill the Butcher and mm. and mm. and um, Daniel Plainview, but I don't know. I, I think I I think uh, I, I I still feel that Bill the Butcher is so much more theatrical and so much more um, sort of stylized, mm. and Daniel Plainview is just a mean old son of a bitch. A lot of that John Huston comes through there, and he was an influence on the voice. I uh, thought Bird Lancaster when I was watching well, it. Maybe yeah. that's just me, but yeah, I kept thinking, <laughs> yeah. wow. Lancaster. 
Um, yeah, the thing with There Will Be Blood, I feel like at the time it came out in 2008, it was such, it was almost a film that had to be made. And so few films this year, um, lately, are cogent political comments mm. on the times. Like, so many films that come out, of particularly America these days, are so fucking vacuous and have no relevance on anything that's going on and try to ignore everything that's going on, if anything. If anything. Or make really sledgehammer comments on the times. I thought There Will Be Blood is a film exactly about how the US got to where they are now. It's right. that evolution of this is... The war on terror, hap- you know, has happened because we've heavily, you know, because you know we're fighting for oil fields, because we've run out here, because we've discovered we exploited all of our land here, and it all started with guys like Daniel Plainview. Right. And that same bullish attitude that we've gone into Iraq with just, is the same just attitude. ambition and greed. Exactly. Mm. And, and yeah. And the dueling forces between, um, greed, uh, between monetary greed and religion. Mm between commerce and religion are also very, you know, with Dan, uh, Paul Dano's character mm. trying to sway the hearts and minds and trying to get him in. And, and, and it's that, and there, and that, uh, well, the forces of commerce and religion are portrayed in there will be blood as being equally corrupt. Mm. Um, Dano's every bit as, as it, every inch that Dano is the charlatan, um, you know, plain view is the, um, the monster. Um, so, I think between between that comment on the on the on the commerce versus religion and how they're both motivated by pure greed, yeah. particularly in America, yeah, yeah, and and the and the whole oil evolution of the oil industry, I think both of those things were extremely cogent comments that had to be made and about, ambitious, ambitious, yeah, totally, mm. um, and uh, yeah, I think it's absolutely a film of its time, and it's a film that feels like. Thematically, it's something that would have been made in the 70s. It's the sort of thing they used to do yeah. all the time in the 70s and we rarely do now. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's, I think that's the reason I love it so much. And I find Plainview really fascinating and I, my heart breaks for HW every single time. Yeah. But yeah, his ambition grows with each film. This is, and, but okay, so shall we rank? Yeah, I, 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 I was uh, doing that. It's not great for a podcast, but I've brought in the DVDs. And, um, <laughs> to provide uh, to your listeners in the with a visual reference. But you kind of need a visual reference because it brings back uh, <laughs> your... Um, I'll, uh, you guys jump off for, first while I organize my DVDs in the order. I'm the worst person to start off because I can, like I was saying before, I can make an argument for every single film being his best. And I think There Will Be Blood is probably his best but then punch my glove hits me in a certain way and boogie nights and magnolia are extraordinary and uh, now i'm leaving poor hard eight out but i'll just say no i can't i can't do it i honestly can't i actually believe each paul thomas anderson anderson film is better than the next hmm. uh, better than the last sorry so i'm there will be blood at number one punch drunk at number two magnolia at number three boogie nights at number four hard eight at number five wow i think every single time he refines his craft his he, his ambition finds its meter. He, yeah, I, I just think every single time out he, he improves. And he's the only filmmaker on earth I can think of who has done that. Hmm. Five films in. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm a little bit different. It's a bit peaks and troughs for me, but it's all such at a high level. So it's not really one's better or worse than the other because, the, I mean, to think about Hard Eight as a first film and you've got Gwyneth Paltrow and Philip <laughs> Baker Hall and John C. Riley getting around. But my, but my rank from um, five to one is uh, Heartache comes in and then Punch Drunk Love and then There Will Be Blood and then Magnolia and then Boogie Nights. And it may just be that it was at my time in my own sort of career growing up that the, the, how much the films influenced 
yeah. me. Yeah. Um, but as far as a film that um, I would like to make, it's it always begins and ends with Boogie Nights for me. <laughs> and particularly what you're saying before too about him trying to find stories within his own community and his in his own, own backyard, yeah. you know, with real and, people and and to still achieve something on a Coppola, a Scorsese, Scorsese level. Level uh, Boogie Nights is that for me? Yeah. Excellent. Well, Mr. Richard Gray, thank you very much for thank coming so in. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And, and go see Summer Coda, which releases around Australia on... October 21st. And you'll be hearing a lot about it in the next edition of Hell is Five Minutes. Yes, we will. I won't be coming to that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll lock the doors just in case. See you later. Ciao. See ya. <laughs>